0: Good morning. morning. There's one good morning. Caleb kind of said good morning. He tried. Good morning. If I could draw you all back to your seats, please. Um, I'm sorry, Caleb. I don't mean to do you a disservice. Good morning. I'm glad to see you all here today. Is this a little loud? You all feel good? Okay. It's awesome. I don't want to be blasting everybody out. So, we had originally intended to begin preaching through Ruth this week, and that got a little shaken up. So, um, yeah, this sermon's a little different. Um, Talked through it very in depth with John Stevenson, who could not be here with us today's traveling as well as many people do. And so, um, yeah, I'm very excited to um, preach the word today and to give to you what the Lord has been giving to me uh, through my study of the word and through. Um, reading other people who are studying the Word. So, if you would pray with me now, please. Father, we thank you for who you are. That you are good to us. You are faithful to us in spite of ourselves. That you promise to fulfill all that you have promised to us and promise to those before us for our sake. So, Father, we ask that we would submit ourselves to you, submit ourselves to your word, not to Blake's word and not to Blake's teaching, but to your word. So Father, we thank you. Thank you for Jesus and all that he has done and will do for us. We pray all these things in Christ's name. Amen. So <clears throat> if you Google the top ten historical events in the world, what do you, just think about in your head what comes up in that list of things anything that you might be considering, or think of something personal that is a key historical event to the world that we live in today that radically reshaped society, the world, or yourself. Just think about that for a second. All right, you thought about it. Um, some of the things you might have considered would be the Revolutionary War. That's a pretty big event. And I see Scott thought of that. He's smart. That's actually number one on several of the lists that I googled. So you're, you're thinking top tier right there. Um, You might consider things, positive things, like the lunar landing or the civil rights movement. Sadly, either of the world wars shows up there a lot. Um, But there are many things that define the events of our, there are many events that define the world that we live in today that have affected the very fabric of our lives, whether that be directly to us or indirectly through affecting society or world culture or the reality we live in. Um, Sadly, though, there's pockets of people who deny that some of these events ever even occurred. And one of these events uh, is from during the time of World War II is the Holocaust. There are people who will actively pursue to change people's minds that the Holocaust didn't actually happen. And that might invoke in you some sort of absurdity or anger, We've, many of us, depending on how old you are, have seen the pictures of the death camps, or you've seen the pictures of people who've been being starved. Millions of people lost their lives due to one country's endeavor to eliminate them. And it blows my mind that anyone would deny that that ever actually happened. You may have seen the movie Schindler's List. Has anyone ever seen that movie? It's a pretty good movie. Don't do what I did. Don't do what Tori and I did. We watched the back half first, then the first half. Second, it was a total mistake. The DVD, it was a two-part DVD. Who still makes two-part DVDs? (laughs) It's absurd. Um, But yeah, it, it was a great movie, fantastic movie. I highly recommend you watch it. But it really captured for me the reality of the holocaust and for people to say that it isn't real invokes anger and absurdity in my heart and so my hope for you today is that you will see and believe that Jesus is for real that Jesus was and is a part of the same history and the same earth that we are in today Do we accept the person of Jesus and the event that is Jesus as truly real? As the scriptures give him to us. That he is in the same timeline, in the same earth as we are. Jesus isn't a part of some alternative history that's becoming a very popular literary device these days. Is telling stories of, well, what if this happened? What if Germany and Japan had won World War II, for example? huge TV show right now. Jesus is for real. And we often do not believe that he is. Therefore, we do not respond appropriately to Jesus. So let us turn our attention to John chapter 1, verses 14 through 18. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. who is at the Father's side, He has made Him known. We'll read the other section in your bulletin insert in just a bit. But, and John simply states this later on. John the Apostle is the writer of John, if you weren't aware. Um, His desire is that we will believe in Jesus as Jesus truly is. Is this ringing getting on y'all's nerves? It's driving me insane. Sorry. I got to turn it down. Okay. Alright. Maybe it won't ring as much now. Or it won't be on at all. Sorry. Okay. So John wants us to believe in Jesus as he is. He has an objective. He's not trying to present to us this unrelated, this removed history of Jesus. So he has a goal in mind. And he wants us to take Jesus... As he is now, there were a lot of different beliefs about who Jesus was that were beginning to crop up during that time, and um, one of those that was predominant then that was Jesus was this ghost dude, kind of floated around. He was kind of like a hologram. Have y'all seen those holograms of Michael Jackson that are showing up on shows and stages that people are going to? That's kind of what people were beginning to view Jesus as. He wasn't real couldn't touch him. If you wanted to touch him, you'd just pass right through him. Or if you've seen Star Wars when uh, Anakin and Obi-Wan Kenobi come back, they look like little holograms standing there. That's what people believed about Jesus then. And this was becoming more and more prominent. And so John wanted to make it explicitly clear who Jesus was. That that was unacceptable. That we could not think of Jesus like that. Now, I think... Our society trends towards that belief in Jesus, just not quite the same way. We believe that Jesus is removed, that he's nothing at all like us, that he walked around, he glowed, there was just a glow about him, that he smiled all the time, butterflies followed him around, and he hovered just a little bit as he went everywhere. Like That's what we think of Jesus as oftentimes in our society, or... We go to this other extreme and Jesus was just a really good man or Jesus was a really good man that God turned into a demigod. Kind of like Percy Jackson and the Olympians if you've read those books. Great books, by the way. But those are often how we tend to take Jesus these days. We will attempt to conform him to the reality that we think should be rather than taking him as he's been given to us. And so what John puts forth for us first is that, and the word became flesh. Uh, As some of you know, I'm currently in seminary, and I'm learning the Greek language, and it is incredibly difficult. um, So I won't bore you with any of that. But the word that John uses for flesh here isn't a pretty word. As I mentioned, it's not a word that conveys that Jesus glowed he looked great, everyone would have flocked to him. But it conveys to the Greek reader guts. It conveys that, like when you start talking about surgery, and people are talking about incisions and breaking bones and blood everywhere, that kind of stuff makes me want to pass out when you start talking about that. But that's what it's conveying. And it seems kind of like a strange and gross word. I see some of y'all's faces that you're making. It's kind of weird. But... That's what John wants you to get at. He wants you to see these things that it's the very same word we would describe ourselves with. That we're made of flesh and bone and muscles and tendons and we need all of those things to work, to move, to live. Jesus took on this very same flesh. We just sang a song about how Christ was veiled in flesh. That's what, it, that's what that song's getting at. This reality put forth to us by John. And Jesus sneezed. Felt love for his mother. Probably got embarrassed by her. Stubbed his toe. Felt pain. Probably played games as a child. He had to sweat. He cried. He ate, he enjoyed a cool autumn breeze, as John Mark has so aptly pointed out today. He was every bit the same flesh that you and I are, except he's not fallen. Let's just make that very distinct. Simultaneously, though, Jesus is also God. The church has long believed that Jesus is 100% God and 100% man. No one outweighing the other. No one being consumed by the other. But 100% God and 100% man. This refutes everything that I described earlier about what we often conceptualize when we think of Jesus removed from the very reality that you and I live in. C.S. Lewis also <clears throat> often used the idea that Jesus is either a lunatic a liar, or he is in fact God in the flesh to teach people in the modern and postmodern context about who God was. You know, if any guy came walking down the street over here and he was like, hey, I'm God. I'm going to bring you into my kingdom. We'd all be like, okay, dude, you should stay on that side of the road. Don't come over here. Don't talk to me. Leave me alone, please. Because we would think he to be crazy. And then For the liar, which is of greater concern in the society we live in today, a lot of people are spiritual. I'm not religious, I'm spiritual. People say that all the time. I heard it just this weekend. And they'll tell you, "Oh, Jesus was a really good teacher. He's probably got some great things to say for everyone, applicable across all their lives. But Jesus said a lot of things that don't line up with that. And what I mean by that is that Jesus proclaimed himself to be God. If anyone ever tells you that he didn't, then they haven't read their Bible very well. Jesus makes it very clear. I am God. And so if he's a really good prophet and he says that he's God, then he's not. He's just a really good prophet. Then he's now not just a liar, but he's also a lunatic again. And So we're left with one reasonable probability. That he is, in fact, God in the flesh. And that is what we need to wrestle with. He's God in the flesh and he is very real. He's not outside of our world. He's in it. Dirty and grimy. Just like the rest of us. So, continuing in verse 14, The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And this section encapsulates the rest of what John has to say in John chapter 1. He took on flesh and dwelt among us. Now, the Old Testament Bible was written in Hebrew. And by this time, when John began writing his gospel, the Old Testament had been written into Greek as well. And so the Greek word that John uses here is the same word that the Old Testament Greek wrote for tabernacle. Now, that's not a word that we use very often here, but The tabernacle was essentially a really fancy tent with like a throne room on the inside. But it was a tent. And the Israelites would pick it up and carry it around and set it up and they would do sacrifices within it. And the very presence of God was within that tent. No tabernacle, no presence. The people are not in communion with their God. And so if the tabernacle is the very presence of God manifested amongst the people, John wants us to understand that Jesus is here tabernacling among us. The very presence of God. That is why John is confident to say that no one has ever seen God, the only God who is at the Father's side, but He has made Him known. Because Jesus is the very presence of God in and among us. He dwelt in the same homes, the same city that the ancient Israelites dwelt within. Another English translation of of the Bible says that the word became flesh and moved into the neighborhood. It's a very simple way of saying what John just said, but it's true. He moved into the neighborhood. He got a house next door and grew up had a family, and lived just like every single one of us. And John wants us to know that he moved into the neighborhood with grace and truth. He didn't move into the neighborhood with wrath and judgment, though he very well could have. He moved into our lives to give us the grace and truth Of who God is, nothing more, nothing less. And when we we think of nothing more, it's a lot more than we ever would have conceived. Jesus is very, very real, and He comes as God in the flesh to dwell among us and to give us grace and truth—that is, knowledge of God—very real. Very real. We could walk up and touch him, just as I could walk up and touch Brandon right now. That's 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 what I'm, I just like. You can't wrestle with that enough. He's a historical reality that happened in the same time and space that we are in. Now let's turn to John chapter twenty to help us get a better understanding of what's going on here. And so we looked at Jesus in His incarnation. Now we're going to shift over to His resurrection. And you'll understand why in just a second. These kind of bookend each other in the Gospel of John. And so, uh, starting in verse 24, Now Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So Jesus had come earlier into a room to the rest of the disciples, and Thomas was not there. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord And put your hand out and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you have seen? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ in the son of god and that by believing you may have life in him so there's the purpose of john's writing that we would believe in jesus christ but not believe in our own conceptions of jesus christ but believe in the believe in the real jesus the jesus that john puts forward for us in scripture and as i said this is right after the resurrection and Thomas is the central person here. And he's pretty much American Christianity's favorite disciple to hate on outside of Jesus. Well, he didn't believe immediately, so he's he stinks. He's not very good. We have that phrase doubting Thomas. Oh, you're just a doubting Thomas. We shade Thomas in a pretty negative light, most often. But it serves an this section serves an equally important function in that. Jesus had real flesh in His incarnation. Well, He has real flesh as well in His resurrection. He really raised from the dead. And Thomas could reach out and touch Him. Now, a story that I saw recently on Facebook was a young kid, probably 12. It was his birthday and he wanted a Playstation. When his parents come in the room, they put a box on his bed and he rips into it and he opens up. He's all excited. He ran around the room for probably five minutes before he ever actually touched the box. He opens the box and he flips it open. He removes the wrapping from the inside. There were books in it. No PlayStation. Puts his head down on his chest like this and starts to wrap the box back up and put the books back inside of it and tries to very neatly close it and then his grandmother comes in with a bag and some nice wrapping paper stuffed in it. And he walks over to it. No emotion whatsoever. Opens the box. Finally flips it open. Tears open the wrapper. And there's a PlayStation. Finally, he gets his PlayStation. It's, it's real. He can see it. He can touch it. He had hoped in the original box everything that he was dreaming of only to find the fulfillment and the promise of a PlayStation was a sham. He had no excitement for the second box because there was no guarantee that this box would have a PlayStation in it. Granted, the story ended positively. His expectations had been deeply curbed. But aren't we all this kid? We receive the hope of a promise... And we wait for its fulfillment. And then when it doesn't come, or the person who said they were going to give it to us doesn't give it it to us, we're let down. And we are no longer eager for that promise to be fulfilled. It's like, yeah, we'll get you a puppy, and then you never get a puppy, and you give up all hope on getting a puppy. What's the point? We are similar to this kid. Thomas is similar to this kid. And we are similar to Thomas. We often hate on Thomas for not immediately believing that Jesus was alive. But a part of what Thomas is committing himself to is pivotal for our faith. We diss Thomas for being a doubter. But Thomas is an ancient Israelite. Thomas grew up his whole life hearing the stories and promises of Yahweh. And he knows that Yahweh comes up good on His promises. We were just talking about in Sunday school that Abraham waited 24 years after he had been promised a son to get that son. But God is faithful to His promises. That is the theme that runs the course of the entire Old Testament. God is faithful to His promises, regardless of whether we're faithful or not. And so Thomas knew these things. He knew that God had promised a Savior who would come and redeem the world back to Himself. And a Savior who says He's God and gets killed and doesn't actually rise from the dead, it's not how Yahweh does things. It's not what Yahweh promised. Therefore, saying it, if I can't see Him and touch Him, this isn't what Yahweh promised. So I'm not, I'm not going to believe. I'm not going to believe until it happens because I know who my God is in a real living Messiah, a resurrected Savior. That is what God has promised. And Thomas is waiting on that. Granted, some of Thomas's expectations were a little off. He didn't really expect Jesus to die and thought Jesus was going to create a kingdom and they were going to get to rule over it physically on earth. But none of that even could have happened if Jesus died and didn't actually come back from the grave. So Thomas's context is that God does and fulfills His promises. The exodus, the land, the temple, the redemptions from exile... Thomas knew what was promised because he had heard it his whole life. And anything less than a physically resurrected Savior wasn't God completing his promises. Now you might think, who doesn't believe that Jesus physically raised from the dead? Well, there's some pretty prominent schools of thought here in the United States on that. There's a professor at Union Seminary that said, you, you people who believe in a resurrected Jesus that's just too strict. It doesn't really set us free. Why would you do that? Well, John and Thomas, and ultimately the Word of God, say no to that. And I want you to say no to that as well. This is subpar because this is not what, that is not what God promised. And God keeps His promises. And so we look at what, God, what John starts with in the beginning and what he ends with after the resurrection in that Jesus is real. And we must wrestle with that. We must respond to the reality that is Jesus, that He is here on the same earth as we are, in the same type of skin and bones that we are, and anything less than that isn't what God has promised. And so our, what, what is our response to this physical Jesus in the beginning and this physical Jesus after the resurrection. Well, Thomas outlines it very plainly for us. My Lord and my God. It's a very simple response, but it's the appropriate response. Glorify God and enjoy Him. He's here. We can touch Him. Enjoy Him. Now you might think, Blake, I can't touch Jesus right now. You're right, you can't. But in time, we will all be at the table of the Lord and He will be seated there with us. And we can reach out and we can touch Him with the same kind of flesh that Jesus has after His resurrection. It's a sneak peek into what the future of glory holds for us. And so, very simply, our response is to glorify God and enjoy Him. So one, we can be loved by God. Jesus being for real means that our hope in Him is real. A first first century Christian said that if Jesus did not become human just as we are, then we have no hope for redemption. Our redemption is as real as Jesus is real. He's very real. Jesus' resurrection is for real and He gives us hope of a recreated world, a new heaven and a new earth. These bodies may pass away from sickness and ailment, frailty, body that Jesus has after His resurrection is that sneak peek to future glory of a hope eternal and a new heaven and a new earth and then Jesus is gracious to meet our needs you hear Dan talk about it all the time that love is a process of meeting needs well Jesus knew Thomas's doubt and He shows up in the room and He doesn't say, Thomas you idiot why didn't you just take them at your word You should just believe. He says, no, Thomas, look at my hands. Touch them. Reach out your hand and put it in my side. He lowers himself to meet Thomas' needs. Because Thomas wanted to touch to confirm that God had fulfilled His promise. Jesus condescends to meet our needs. And we see that example here. And we can take hope in that Jesus will meet all of our needs. So if we can be loved by God, then we can begin to love God. We can ascribe to God he is what his true worth is. In our worship we can say my Lord and my God. And we can denounce all other things that might be a god before him. Our own entertainment, our own personal values, our own sense of worth, our things, our comfort, We can sacrifice those things. And then we can go on to love others. Now, like I said, everyone gives Thomas a bad rap, but no one really talks about what happened to Thomas after this. Historically, Thomas went from Israel all the way to India with the gospel, with the message that Jesus is for real, and planted churches. And ultimately died at the hands of religious people in India. A martyr for the confession that Jesus is Lord and Jesus is for real. We can do the same as disciples of Christ. We can be a people indwelled by the Spirit of God. We can tabernacle among the people of our community and of our world as the temples of the Holy Spirit, proclaiming that Jesus is Lord and meeting needs just as Jesus did. Who we are faced with in these Scriptures, all of Scripture, is the very real person of Jesus who accomplishes on our behalf redemption and gives to us hope of resurrected glory to come in the world around us. It is the truth of the real Jesus that we proclaim in the Apostles' Creed every week and that we will proclaim together later. Jesus is very real. May we live in light of the real Jesus. Let us pray. Father, we thank You that You are truly real. That Jesus is for real. That by His grace... He descended from heaven, took on the same flesh that we are so that we may be redeemed back to you. And so, Father, we thank you for your grace, your mercy, your love for us in Jesus Christ, who who desires to truly meet our needs. Change our hearts, Lord, that we may believe in you as you truly are and as your word gives you to us. We pray all these things in Christ's name. Amen.